lost my place on my iPad, so I didn't know where I was at. But I really don't need it that bad today. So anyway, well, good to see you. I just realized this morning when I got up here, it's been a while since I've been up here to teach. Uh, it's been almost a month. Uh, but that was a good break. I spent two of those weeks. My wife has been gone the whole month. She's been in Virginia taking care of aging parents going through surgery, and she's still there, finally coming back, hopefully, this week, um, the last we heard. And so when I was there for two weeks, I actually got to spend two weeks kind of experiencing what retirement's like in a five-star retirement resort. That's where their, her parents live. It's a really nice place. So I don't think it was, you know, it was like a two-bedroom apartment they have there. It has a health club there. It has jacuzzi. It has an indoor pool. And it has a restaurant you would not believe uh, where we ate every night. So, uh, so I'm surprised I didn't gain weight. But I did work out in the health club three times a week there with, with uh, some young folks. And so uh, it was really exciting. <laughs> I felt like I was 12 years old again, like after going in there, because everybody was like, <laughs> I'm going, wow. How exciting. But they were out there. There was this one lady in there. She came in there every time I was there. She was in there on the treadmill. She wasn't going fast, but, man, she was going. And she just kept going. I don't know. She was there when I got there. She was there when I left. I'm going like, man, she is something else. She probably worked, walked like 10 miles. It took her about three days to do it, but she, <laughs> she, uh, she got there. So, anyway, okay. We're going to be talking about, and last week, actually, if you were here, uh, Nate kind of introduced the series we're going to be doing for the next two months. Uh, as a team, we're going to be start doing more team teaching. Uh, we've been doing some of that, and that was part of the deal in in um, in, in December as well. But uh, during the next uh, two months, uh, we're going to be doing going through the book of Philippians. And Philippians is a great book. Team teaching means we're going to have I'm going to do about 50% of the teaching, and then the other staff is going to do the other part of the teaching as well. Um, we're going to be looking through the four chapters of the book of Philippians, and it's a it's a great book. We're going to be talking about it. now, Paul. When he starts writing the book of Philippians, um, he kind of gives the, the first two verses are kind of like, howdy, how are you guys? You know, we're glad, you know, that's what he says. That's kind of the southern version of it. But uh, following that, verse 3, this is what he says. He says to the Philippian church, this is the first thing he really says after the introduction. He says, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Man, wouldn't you like to be that church? Paul's going every, because Paul didn't always write that way. Paul sometimes seems like kind of a crusty individual because sometimes he's kind of in your face in some of the writings. See, Paul is a church planter. And what that means is he would go around the Mediterranean rim and he would plant churches in all kinds of places, places like Ephesus and Galatia and Thessalonica and uh, just other multitudes of places in the, in, in the Bible. And then what he would do, uh, he, would, uh, he would get them started. He would establish a community of believers establish leaders, uh, ground them in the gospel, and then he would move on to begin work in a different location. But he was, as a good shepherd, Paul tried to stay in touch with the folks there and encourage them along the way. And so what would happen is, so often, uh, the church would write to him, some of these churches would write to him with questions they had or about difficulties they faced. And what Paul would do is he would write back with instruction and encouragement. And Philippians is one of these letters that he wrote back to the church with instructions and encouragement. The letter to the Philippians, though, is a little different than the other ones because it's often called, by many writers, it's called the letter of joy because it's so joyful and it's, and it's, it's, it's talking about how to have joy in life. And Paul, in a, sen in a sense of, of, of life, has given you some things that we need to focus on. Now, 
There's two things that we'll see over the next eight, eight weeks that really are the things that help us to have joy. And Paul had these in abundance. Number one was his focus, the focus he had on things in life. And number two was the priorities he had in life. Now, there's a little acrostic you can use to talk about how Paul, what his priorities were and what he says you need to have. And I think it's true. We all need to have these in regard to how to have joy in our life. The little acrostic is the word, is the word joy. Um, Jesus, others, and then yourself. That's the order of life that Paul lived. And you've probably heard that before in other formats and whatever. But Paul, in a real sense, that's how he lived his life. And we'll see that in the book of, of Philippians. And, and Paul kind of talked about this in other locations. But in Philippians chapter 2, we'll see in a couple of weeks, uh, chapter 2, verse 3, he says, Considers, uh, Consider others as more important than yourselves. And I will tell you that Paul doesn't say that. He's lived that in his life. Consider others more important than yourselves. doesn't mean we don't consider ourselves. But the Bible says we're to love others as ourselves. But it doesn't mean that we're number one is always ourselves. He, so he says the pattern of Paul's life and the reason he was truly happy is even when he was shackled to a Roman guard as he was when he wrote this letter to the Philippians, he was not in a happy place that we would consider a happy place. He was, he was shackled to a Roman guard under, guard under house arrest when he wrote this letter to the Philippian church. And so we've got to keep that in context when we read this over the next um, several weeks. But uh, he understood this. He said, you know, it's not about my circumstances. If I have Jesus, I have joy. If no Jesus, no joy. And he understood that very clearly. Now, Philippians also is the only letter that we have from Paul in Scripture uh, in which Paul is not trying, not trying to correct bad teaching or rebuke bad behavior. Um, instead, the letter highlights Paul's personal affection for the Philippian church and his com commendation of their Christian, Christian maturity. Uh, uh, the, the reality is this. We see, and this is why this letter is so important to us as we start this new year, um, we see in this little letter what it looks like to be a mature man or woman in Jesus Christ. If you want to know what it looks like, how many of you want to be mature Christians? You better raise your hand. If not, you're in the wrong place. The reason we come together is not just so we can say, oh, check that off this week. No, the reason hopefully that all of you are here is because you're seeking to take that next step with God. And that's what it means, maturity. It doesn't mean you, you, you reach a place you're mature. I will say the best that we could ever hope for is to be maturing, that we're heading in a direction. And so Paul gives him some instructions. Uh, sure, in verse, in chapter, uh, I think it's chapter 4, he appears to address some issues in the, in the Philippians church. They weren't perfect. But he doesn't focus on that. That's the minor part of this letter. Most of it's about uh, encouragement. And all, overall, the letter to the Philippians is co colored with, uh, with favor. And so it may be also, since it's also, uh, it may be that, then that, the letter to the, uh, that this letter to the Philippians is the best the best New Testament picture we have of what a maturing church looks like and what maturing people do. So you understand how important this is. This is the picture, this is the picture that we, and, and the cool thing about it too, it has lots and lots and lots and lots of what I call coffee cup verses and re refrigerator verses. You know what those are? You know, I mean, things, you know, they put on coffee cups, they're, they're verses that catch your attention. You'll see those every week. Uh, literally, there's one in the message today. I'm not going to focus too much on it. But, and there's one, every chapter has three or four 
refrigerator coffee cup verses in it, things that you've probably heard before that comes from this book that are tremendous because there's things that we need to live by. Now, as a result of what the kind of church it was, the letter to the Philippians overflows, in a sense, with Paul's heart of affection for them. Um, he considers the Philippians not just sheep that he looked over, but he considers them friends. So let's read uh, Philippians chapter 1. We're going to be in two locations today, Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. And we're also going to look back a little bit and tie in last week what Nate talked about, about in Acts chapter 16, because these tie together. We have to put them together to understand what Paul's talking about here. Let's read the first, these verses first out of Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. And this is in the New Living Translation. There's multiple translations you can read from, but they'll all give you kind of a general flavor. So sometimes I'll pick out New Living Translation or NIV or other translations that'll help you to understand some things. Read them on all of them. And, and if you say, I don't have them, yes, you do for free. It's called the YouVersion app. And you can get every translation just about there is in English free online through that, your computer, your iPhone, your, your Android, whatever it is. It's all free out there for you. One of the best resources in the history of the world is, uh, is free. So the Bible. Okay, Philippians 1, verses 3 through 8. Paul says this, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make requests for all of you with joy. Let me ask you a question. When you pray, is it always with joy for the person you're praying for? Uh, you know, we pray for kids. You always pray with joy about your kids. And sometimes we'll pray, well, thank God, thank you for the one good kid. I wish the other kid was like that kid. You know, just being honest, okay? You know, I have two, and no, I'm not going there. Okay. <laughs> They're good kids, okay. Um, then he says this, whenever I pray, I make requests for all of you with the joy, for, for you have been my partners. Keep this in mind. You have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. You've not just been people that kind of hung out with me, but you've been partners in spreading the good news about Christ from this time you've heard it till now. Because Paul's thrust in life, he didn't plant churches just to get numbers. He planted churches because he believed that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, was more important and he was passionate about it more than anything else. Then he says this, and I'm certain, this is one of those refrigerator verses, and usually it's going to be in the NIV, not in the NLT. And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. He's going, man, I am certain that God is going to continue. He started the great work in you. What's he going to do? He's going to continue it. Not because it's about you, but because God started the work in you, and he's going to continue the work in you because he doesn't give up on you, even when you give up on him. And then he, then he kind of goes further. He says in the next verse, he says, So it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you. Why? Because you guys are growing, maturing believers. For you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special uh, favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. We, we will see later in, and, and we can read in other places where during when Paul was going through all the chaos he was going in his life, the one church that stuck through him and supported him financially with other things was the Philippian church. And then he concludes this little section by saying this. It's kind of an interesting comment. He says, God knows how much I love you and long for you. 
And then he says this, with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. That's an interesting word, way to talk about it. I, I love you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. What is he saying? You know, Paul's just kind of like, I mean, truthfully, if you read scripture, Paul doesn't come across as this really touchy-feely guy very often. He comes across as a straightforward, in-your-face, tell-you-the-truth guy, speak the truth in love. But he says sometimes it's kind of like, you know, pretty, pretty straightforward. But here in this verse he says, I love you with the tender compassion, the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. It's the What he's saying here is this, I love you the way Christ loves you, or as close to it as possible. What is the compassion of Jesus Christ? What is the love he has for us? Well, it's the compassion that led Jesus to submit, to arrest, to torture, to death upon a cross. And Paul is telling his friends that all his, this compassion that is in Christ, Jesus, is in his own heart, not because of he's good, but simply because God lives in him. And he longs for them because he's special to them. Now, when, if you read all the rest of the New Testament uh, letters, the Thessalonians, the Ephesians, Galatians, all the different ones, Corinthians, he always says he loves the church and he has good things to say about every church, but he also rebukes them as well. But there's a different type of tone to this letter than any other letter he writes. There's a different type of affection he has. It's a serious affection here. And I began to ask myself, in trying to look at this and reading through this and reading through uh, how this church started, and that's why we're going to tie back into Acts 16 today. Why is it that he had this kind of affection for these people? And I thought, in my own life, you know, is there times where I have, there's certain groups of people that you've lived life with that you have a higher degree of affection for? And I thought back to all the small groups that I've been in over the years. I've been in small groups, uh, I don't just teach small groups, but I live small groups as well, because I believe you need to live in community. The Bible teaches us that. Community, we'll talk about that later too, what it means. But the issue is I've, I've had small groups for years. And so I would think back and I'm going like, is there a favorite small group that I've ever been a part of? And the answer is, yeah. I can tell you my, I mean, I don't even have to think about it for more than five seconds to think about the favorite small group I was ever a part of. And then I thought about why. The favorite small group I was ever a part of was about 20 years ago in Virginia. And it was the strangest small group makeup that you've ever seen. Okay, let me just tell you something about the demographics of the church I was in before. The church I was in in Virginia was just as white as this church is, okay? okay that's nothing wrong with that. Germantown Hills and Metamore is just as white communities, okay, basically. But the issue was this. In our community there, we did have some other people. And so all of a sudden, who, sh who showed up at our church was this, was, this, was this lady. Her name was Daisy. Daisy Medina. And her daughter, Andrea. And I can't roll the R, okay? And then all of a sudden, and so we started having small group. And we, you know, advertised like we do here. We're having small groups. And, you know, and Vicky and I were doing this group. And we had these people show up. And who shows up at our small group but Daisy and then she brings with her a friend, Emilio. Emilio, Emilio Estevez. And Emilio, really was his name, okay. <laughs> Wasn't that one, okay. I'm going like, are you that guy? No, 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 no. Well, no, let me tell you what's interesting too. He comes to our group, and Daisy 
comes to our group, and Vicki was teaching school at the time, full-time, and she was, she was a teacher of Andrea. And that kind of forged a connection. But she brought this guy, and I didn't know if it was her husband or who he was. And, number, and, and also, he didn't speak English. Both of them were from Colombia, South America, originally. And they connected in America. She was married to an American. He was here because he, had, because he, was, in the, he was a policeman in Colombia. And she told me the story. He couldn't tell me the story. I didn't speak Spanish. He didn't speak English. Okay? He came to our small group, and I was asking Daisy after a while. He came to America because uh, there it was so corrupt. There was so much corruption in the Colombian uh, police department that what he had to do was come to America to get a job, either that or be a corrupt cop. That was his two options. And so what he ended up doing was he, he came to America, and he, and he uh, was there, and he had a wife and kid back in Colombia that he was supporting. He was working three jobs and living in a house with five other Colombian guys that had been here. And they were all working a lot of jobs to, to, uh, to, to send all their money back to, to Columbia to take care of family. And hopefully, and eventually five years later, he got his wife and his child there. But uh, that was a little bit of the story. But so here we had this group with this white middle class guy and his wife, Pastor Leiden, a Colombian national that spoke somewhat English, another Colombian national who spoke no English. And, and, and within, within about two months, we had five Hispanics and white collar, blue collar. One of my best friends back in Virginia, his name is Sonny Edwards. Sonny, Sonny was the, um, he was, he was the uh, uh, lead, of what you call him, he was the, the primary, the head of, head of pharmacy for a major hospital, so like OSF, that size hospital. Smart guy, he and his wife. They were in our group. He now teaches for the last 18 years, he's taught nuclear pharmacy at Ohio State. Okay, smart guy. <laughs> I don't even know what nuclear pharmacy is. He called it glow-in-the-dark medicine. So I... <laughs> so anyway, uh, I kind of know what it is. Anyway, but he did that. So he, he's that kind of guy. He and his wife. Another guy that was an engineer. A guy that was a plumber and his wife. And four Colombians and a Venezuelan. Most who spoke... English, and over the next three years, we lived life together. And let me tell you something about that. I learned so much about life and living from that group of people. It was amazing. Um, Emilio, I asked Daisy, why does Emilio like to come to group? He doesn't understand anything. <laughs> he would sit there and smile the whole time. You think he really got into it, but he didn't know anything. She says, well, two things. One is he likes to be with people he loves. He thinks we're, he says, you seem like you love one another. And he said he also wants to learn English. So, you know, we're kind of like it's an English class, I guess. And so we had that. And eventually he learned some English. And I'll just tell you, he accepted Christ down the road three years later through the group. And many of the others in the group were seekers as well. Let me tell you, it was, it was like international church. And it was people that were so different. And I go, you know, that is, when I think back to that, I go like, wow, that's what heaven's going to be like. People of all backgrounds, all races, all creeds coming together because of one thing, Jesus Christ. And when, when I think of what Paul, this whole thing of Paul there, I get a fuller picture of his affectionate connection when I think back to what Nate shared with us last week. 
Because if you, if you were here last week, he talked about in Acts chapter 16, it talks about the church, the church in Philippi starting and how it started. And I was going to review that this week because it's important for us to connect what Paul says here about his affection for them. Paul basically, let me just give you the quick overview. We're not going to read, uh, write, read hardly anything in Acts 16. You can go back and read it later. Acts 16, beginning with verse 12. But Paul and his friends go to this place, uh, and one of, one of the places they went to was Philippi, and they were going to start a church there. And their, and their, their habit was this. They always went to a place where, uh, usually in a town, and they'd go to a Jewish gathering of uh, uh, a synagogue or whatever like that, and they'd start there because people at least knew about God. That was a starting point. Well, when they got to Philippi, there was no Jewish synagogue. There was no church that gathered together. So what it was is he would go there, and he went there, and he's trying to find some people together to begin to share about Christ. And he comes upon this, the best way to describe it is a women's Bible study group. I'm not sure they were studying the Bible, but they were trying to. They were spiritual seekers, and the person that was heading up the group was this lady named Lydia. And Lydia, it's, she was a wealthy businesswoman, and the reason we know that's because of what it said, she was born in a place called Thyra Tyra, kind of a weird name. Uh, but Thyra Tyra is most likely, Thyra Tyra was a place that was probably, uh, she was more Asian than, than it was from that reason, uh, from that region where she was in, in, in Philippi. But she must have had a house in Thyra Tyra, and she had a house in Philippi, and she was head of her own fashion empire kind of what she did and, and so she was a wealthy I call her the wealthy businesswoman and how Paul begins to connect with her we can read this we don't have a lot of time to read this but what he does is he, he interacts with them he joins the women's Bible study which is kind of weird but he begins to explain to them all they knew was about the Ten Commandments and they were seeking after God she was a God-fearer and the other people must have been as well but so she he begins to share with them and what he does he appeals to her intellect and as he appeals to her inner intellect, we see in the story that she has converted to Christianity and she becomes the first convert, uh, convert to Christianity in Philippi. And it says that she was so moved by the gospel that she went home, shared with her family, and her family was converted. And they were so moved that they asked, invited Paul and his buddies to go hang out at their house when they were in town. So it was like all in. And that was the beginning of the thing, this wealthy businesswoman. But very soon after that, it says, and we don't know how much longer, but Paul was still hanging around town, going around. And it says he runs into something a little bit different on that afterwards. It says he was going through town, and he was trying to find another place of prayer. And he was met by this, what the Bible calls a slave girl. And it says in the scripture, then verse 16 through 19, that she had a spirit of divination. Now, what that means is she had demons inside of her some way. And, and, and the spirit of divination was kind of weird because what he would do, was it would kind of know what people were thinking and, would, and it would, she would be able to be kind of like a fortune teller. And so she had been enslaved by these guys and what they did is they used her to make money as a fortune teller. And so she comes upon Paul, this, this, this young girl comes upon Paul and his men and she starts following it around, and the spirits inside of her call, start calling out. She says, these men, talking about Paul, these men are, are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And she kept following around for days, just being disruptive, you know. And that's what she did. And it finally says that Paul was greatly annoyed. 
That's what he was with her. I mean, this wasn't like, yeah, come on into our group, you know. No, he was greatly annoyed. She was going around being disruptive. He would try to talk to people about Jesus. He would try to pray with them. And what's she doing? She's shouting stuff out. Now, what does Paul do? He doesn't invite her to a Bible study about how to deal with demons. He doesn't, he doesn't try to invite her in. She goes, this girl was irrational. It says in Scripture what he does he turned to her and said to the spirit that was in her, it says, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour, Scripture says. And because of that, guess what? She couldn't tell fortunes anymore. So she became useless to her owners. And her owners, it said, saw the hope, their hope of gain was gone. So they seized Paul and Silas and they dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. The slave girl in a sense, was freed of the thing that kept her from God. And we see her as being in, 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 you know, involved. She knew what was going on. She heard all these things. And she comes becomes the second convert, we believe, in the city. Now, what's the, di what's the difference between, uh, uh, the, between Lydia and the slave girl? Man, there's night and day. I mean, night and day. Lydia, you know, he met her in a, in, in a very organized, structured fashion. She was, she was very... Uh, intellectually uh, engaged with the slave girl Paul uh, Paul doesn't get, go get her uh, engaged her spiritually he, he engaged with her through removing the barriers from her life allowing God to remove the barriers from her life that helped her to be disconnected to God or to reconnect with God but in both instances the Holy Spirit granted new birth and repentance and of course the deliverance of the gospel takes on the context of personal need that's one thing I find out in scripture it's so interesting because in 1 Corinthians, Paul says this. He says this in verse 9, 1 Corinthians 9.22. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might say some. Paul lived that. You know what that means? So often what we do is we go and try to find a process or a way to, to, work, to uh, encounter people for the gospel. We go to a class and we learn a process. The reality is that not everybody's in the same place. And you can't simply, you've got to be open to God's spirit and where people are. And God's spirit will lead you to what you need to do to encounter them and to help them. Because intellectually, he encountered Lydia because that's where she was. Spiritually, he encounters the slave girl because that's where she was. And that's not the end, though. Because we see in Philippians, I mean in uh, Acts chapter 16, a third encounter. Because when they brought him to brought this Paul and his friends to the magistrates there because they were upset because he had ruined their financial gain, what happens? It says they 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 decide to throw him in prison. And when they decide to throw throw Paul and his and his buddies in prison, there the, the magistrates say to the jailer, he, they say, Hey, hey, put him in prison and keep him safe. That's what they tell him. You read it in scripture, it's what it says. But what did he do? It says he put them in stocks. What picture of stocks do you have in your brain when you hear that? Everybody, anybody here ever been to Jamestown or Williamsburg? I'm from Virginia. I've been a thousand times, okay? That was our school field trips every year that I was there. I mean, but when you go and you think about this, and maybe see, stocks were there, the thing you put your head in, your arms, and you're kind of hanging there in the middle of the square, and you're humiliated all day. That's about as bad as it gets, you know? I was reading up on what Roman stocks were. They're not like that at all. What they did, in a sense, is that they, they would, I don't know how this worked, and I haven't seen a picture of this, 
But when you put you in Roman stocks, it would actually twist and contort your body so that you would be incredibly uncomfortable, and they would leave you there for days. Okay? So this, this jailer was not a nice guy. I just got to say that. Because they told him to keep him safe, but what did he do? He's going, he liked his job a lot. And so what does he do? He goes and puts them in these stocks to contort them and make them uncomfortable because that's what he did. He was good at his job. He loved his job. And so that's what we see. But as we continue along in the book of Acts, it says, you know, Paul, and, and just think about this for a moment. He, he was there. Paul and Silas were there. They were in these stocks. They were contorted. They were hanging out there. And what are they doing? They're moaning and groaning. No, that's not what they're doing. It says in verse 25, it says, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Folks, you know, we, li- we, we are here. I don't know if you get this. We are in a comfort-controlled environment. And we have fairly comfortable chairs. And the reason we are here is to give praise and worship to God. See, there's no reason that when we're singing, you shouldn't be singing your lungs out. Paul did it in prison in stocks because he knew one thing, that God was worthy. His focus was on Jesus, and he had joy in his life. It didn't matter where he was. So, you're going, but I can't sing. The Bible never says you have to sing. It says make a joyful noise. You may sound like when you sing a noise. That is no excuse for not singing because singing is an expression of joy to God. And if you're not singing to God, I don't care how bad you sing. God just wants to hear you, your voice. I mean, I love to increase the volume level by 10 from you singing. You overpower the instruments up there sometimes. That'd be freaky. But that's what, just think about it. That's what Paul was. And so he's in jail, in stocks, in Silas. They're singing and praying to God. And what does it do? It says about midnight, and it's right after that, a miracle happens. A miracle happens. What happens is there's an earthquake, and all their stocks and everything, and the, and the prison doors, are, the stocks and the shackles come off, and the prison doors are open. And it says immediately the, 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 Roman, uh, the jailer there, the Philippian jailer, what does he do? He pulls out a sword. You think to kill somebody? No, no, no. He's going to kill himself. And you're going like, why would he do that? Because in that day, in that age, uh, jailers, if they allowed prisoners to escape, the penalty was forfeiting your own life. And he thought, oh, the, the shackles, the doors are all open, they're all gone. But what does Paul do? Paul, once again, shows his faith in Christ by staying there. And he yells out to the jailer, don't kill yourself. We're still all here. We're all here. And so the jailer comes in, and we can read the encounter, and what happens is, is that through this encounter with this miraculous thing that happened and through the way Paul responds and Silas responds to this, what happens is this jailer comes to Christ. He becomes the third person to become part of the Philippian church. You know, if you weren't a Christian and you had to take care of Paul, you probably hated him. Because he's the kind of guy you just could not get down. I mean, you would say things like, well, I'm going to kill you. And we go like, well, to die is gain. 
or I'm going to torture you. And he would say things like, well, I don't count the present suffering as worthy to even compare for the future glory. Okay, we're going to let you live. Well, to live with Christ. He always had something to come back with. Why? Because of his focus and his priorities. Now, when I thought about that, I'm thinking about these three people that come to Christ, and, and they're totally different. I mean, Lydia, wealthy businesswoman, the slave girl, she's probably had no, no, no options in her life. She probably was just the, poor, uh, the poorest of the poor. That's how she got in that situation. The jailer? I, can, I imagine, it doesn't say what he is, but I imagine him is the kind of guy that probably didn't like the banter of, of the intellectuals. And he didn't really like the hoopla of the charismatic thing that happened with the girl. He was probably the kind of guy that just wanted to do his job well, go home, drink a beer, and watch the ball game. That's probably what he was. Middle class, average Joe. These are the three people that made up the Philippian church. So when Paul says, when Paul says, this is verse, verse 8, going back to that, God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. Who's he talking about? Who's he thinking about? Well, he's thinking about Lydia and the slave girl and the jailer, and then all those other people that became a part of that original group called the Philippian church. And when he says in verse 3, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God, these are the people he remembers. See, because by the time Paul writes this letter to the Philippians, it's probably been somewhere between 10 and 15 years. And, and you know, I don't know about you guys when... when I, been away from people for a while, I started asking, thinking to myself, I wonder what they're like now. He's probably going like, I wonder, wonder how that slave girl, is she, you know, how old is she now? Uh, I wonder if she's married. I wonder if she has kids. Lydia, I wonder if she used, she leveraged her leadership abilities and her, and her affluence to influence people for the gospel. I wonder if that jailer is still as crusty as he was back then. But he had been with them for a while. He had, he had, he had baptized them. He, had, he was the conduit through the power of the Holy Spirit through which the Holy Spirit's power poured out on them. And this is why he's yearning for them with the affection of Jesus Christ. They were people that he said shared in the mission. They weren't just church members. They were people who had shared in the mission of Jesus Christ. And so they were bonded in a way that you can't just by sitting in rows with somebody on a Sunday morning be bonded to. See, that's why when I think back to that small group I was a part of all those years, it wasn't just about us getting together for Bible study. I mean, Daisy and Emilio shared with their friends who came to Christ. And Sonny and Doris, Sonny, I mean, this guy who was, a, who was chief pharmacist of a major medical center, wore, he, he always wore these T-shirts, you know, turn or burn, stuff like that. You know, I'm going, that's not very subtle, Sonny. 
And he'd go like, well, gets people's attention. They start asking me questions. And he would appeal to intellectuals, believe it or not. And he would win people to Christ all the time. And I just go through that group, and I'm thinking about all, I mean, that group probably, the influence of that group on Christ, even then and since then, has been amazing. I still stay in connection with most of those people in that group. Matter of fact, I went and had, had coffee with one of them for two hours uh, when I was in Virginia recently. And, we, and guess what we shared about? What's God been doing in your life? Because that's what our group was about. That mission, that purpose. You know, one of the things so often that I realize is this, is that so often our concept, concept of getting together a fellowship today is often water, watered down. It, it's kind of means a little bit like a little more than hanging out with people. I mean, you know, if you have coffee with a non-Christian, what do you call it? Having coffee. But if you have coffee with a Christian, what do you call it? Fellowship. No, we use the term fellowship. No, that's not fellowship, folks, from, from Scripture. That's having coffee with a Christian. Fellowship, koinonia, that we'll see in, Act, in, in Philippians, is people, and this is why Paul was so excited and so passionate about this group of people, it's, it's we share in a common mission of making the gospel known to the world. That's what brings us joy. And if you're going to like, well, the Christian life's not too joyful for me, it's because you're not involved in the mission. Paul was involved along with the Philippian church, and that's why he said, that's why it gives me joy every time I think of you. It's people bonded together. I mean, what a, I don't know about you guys. I love science fiction. And one of my favorite, and I'm probably, I thought about this today. I'm going, what am I going to do this afternoon? My wife's still in Virginia. I don't, the NFL football does not interest me whatsoever at this point in my life. And so what am I going to do? And I thought, Lord of the Rings trilogy. <laughs> so I may watch the whole Lord of the Rings trilogy this afternoon. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, that's a long trilogy. <laughs> but there's a great illustration there. Fellowship of the Rings. If you don't know anything about what I'm talking about, you're going to like, uh, J.R.R. Tolkien, when he wrote that, has, there's Christian principles all over the place in this. But particularly in Fellowship of the Rings, it, it's a story about, uh, that kind of illustrates this idea of what koinonia, partnership, gospel partnership's all about. Because the interesting thing about the Fellowship of the Ring is this. Uh, the Fellowship is made up of people of radical diversity. I mean, if you don't know what it is, let me just tell you who they are. There's this group of people, there's these little, short, resilient, pipe-smoking hobbits who have big, hairy feet that live in a place called the Shire. It's a really cool place. I like to live in the Shire. Now, I'd have a problem with the height of the ceilings because they're real short, but the thing is, it's green, it's lush, it's beautiful, it's probably the prettiest place in all of Middle Earth, okay? That's where everything happens. In this, you're going like, you're way into to this too much. No, 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 it's a good story. Just believe me. If you've never seen it, you need to watch it, you know, beginning to end. And so they have these little these little guys called hobbits. Then there's a few what I'd call warrior men that are there. I mean, there's these guys, manly men, who are warriors, and they're they're great. You know, there's a couple of those guys. And then there's the, then there's an, a wizard 
who wears, you know, a wizard hat and rides a white horse, and he's really cool and, you know, does all kind of stuff. Then there's this elf. I don't know if you know what an elf looks like, but this guy's cool. If I was going to be any of these guys, I would want to be the elf. He has amazing archery skills. I mean, he can, he can shoot like a thousand rounds a minute with a, with a bow, you know. It's just, it's just unreal. And then, and then there's this little guy, that, that not last but least, but uh, this little guy who kind of lives under a mountain, he's called a dwarf, and he ha- he go, he has kinda, he's kind of grumpy, and he has an axe. You don't want to mess with him. Now, all these buried people in the story, and this is a cool story, together they share a common mission of defeating the forces of darkness and saving the earth from the evil forces. And they were, in the story, they are so willing not only to live, but to die for one another and for the mission. That's a picture of why Paul was so excited about the church in Philippi. Because Lydia, the slave girl, the jailer, and whoever else we don't even know about in Scripture must have been that kind of a group of just diverse people who came together focused on one thing, Jesus Christ and the mission of the church. And because of that, man, nothing brings you greater joy to be a part of a group like that. Joy. Jesus, others, yourself. That was Paul's priorities. Jesus, number one. Others, number two. Yourself, number three. Let me conclude with this. And this is personal. One of the things that that really hit me when I was reading this, and then was affected this week and this past week in a lot of my journaling and a lot of my quiet time. And then yesterday in men's group, I'm going like, man, just keep piling on me, God. Uh, we're doing a, we, we're doing a study. We just finished it up. Let me tell you, if you don't have, if you've not downloaded right now media, and got the app, you're missing out on a great resource. All of you have the option. You don't have to be a member of the church. You can just let us have your email. We'll send you the copy. But you have a resource of thousands of videos by top-notch Christian people who teach in incredible ways. But our men's group's been doing what I'm called stepping up. It's for men. Women, you can watch it too if you want to. But it's basically for men. And yesterday, as we were watching it, I found myself with tears running down my face, repenting. Because one of the things I have found, and I shared with you back, back in May of this past year, you know, I got to the place, and I, share, and I share with you a message called Leading on Empty. And when I shared that message, it came out of, out of brokenness, in a sense, in my life, where I realized, and, and, and realized that, that I'd been to a place of burnout and depression, And what I found that during this journey and working with a counselor and all the things I've done over the last few months is that what that'll do for you, depression, what it does for you, it turns you inward. And so I had the the things backwards. Jesus, others, yourself. I had yourself, and I really don't care about anything else. That's what I found myself at. And if you find yourself in that place, all you do is try to heal yourself. You pull within yourself. And, and so uh, one of the things that my counselor shared with me is this. He said, how you know, one of the ways you know that you're turning around is think you start caring for stuff again. 
You start caring for others, you start caring for your relationship with Jesus again. And I found that to be true recently. Not totally healed, but going in the right direction. And there's nothing, and, 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 and so when you have that, when you have depression, and when you have burnout in your life, and you're not dealing with it, what happens is you have no joy. Nothing will bring you joy. Because it's about Jesus, others, and yourself. In that order, in that priority, focusing on those things that begins the process of helping you to have the joy that all of us want to have in our life. It has nothing to do with externals. Nothing. You could be in the, I mean, right now, you know, if you, you ask, how's our, some keep out, people keep out, how's your, how's your family? Well, my father-in-law's just gone through cancer treatment. He's recovering, but doesn't, you know, it's all right. My dad's gone back in the hospital again. He's been through so much stuff. He's probably near the end of his life. He's ready to go with, to be with Jesus now, though, to tell you the truth. But I'm beginning to experience joy again in my life, not because of those things, but because God has got me focused off myself. So one of the struggles we've had, and I, and I just realized where I repented yesterday, is this. I said, you know, we've been asking this question for a long time. You know, what do we want to do next in life? What do we want to do next? Wrong question. The question that I've always asked myself and Vicki has always asked herself, and we pray together about it for years, is not what we do, what do we want to do, but what is God, what does Jesus want us to do next? Because retirement for me is not about quitting. Retirement is working when I want to. And, and it's about doing something that God wants me to do next. So I talked to my wife last night, and I said, hey, I, 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 I repented of a sin yesterday, and I need to talk to you about it. So what are you going to talk about? I said, I'll talk about it when you get home. So I'm sure she's stewing right now. <laughs> she's going, what did he do? I said, it's not bad, it's good. Oh, you repented of a good sin. <laughs> she was so confused. So maybe I'll get on the phone this afternoon and talk to her a little bit about it, because she's not coming home until Tuesday. Okay. So, you know, I, I thought about that. That was really mean of me to do that. But, but I'll simply say this to you. I know how to, what, it's like, whoop, what it's like to lose your joy. And I realize, in reality, exactly what Paul's saying. Hey, it doesn't matter about all the externals. As long as Jesus is first, others are second, yourself's third, joy will come. It comes out of partnering with others in a gospel community of people who are sharing together what God wants to do. And I would challenge you. If all you do is come on Sunday mornings and you sit in rows and the rest of the week there's no spiritual connection with anybody, you're missing the point. The point is not just simply showing up for church and checking it off. The point is living it in partnership with others on a mission that's so much bigger than we are that only God can make it happen. Only God can make it happen. So my prayer is this. God will convict you and cause you to repent the same way he caused me to repent. And I have to repent every day of my selfishness that it's all about me. Because if that's focus, if my focus is on me first, I will never have joy. And neither will you. Let's pray.